Hi, this is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. This is Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am your host, Brandon, and I am not here with Lindsay um, for the first time, so I'm going to give Drew a Lindsay introduction, even though I just spoiled it by using his name. Aww, Ladies oh, and gentlemen, he is cooler than Finn in Snoke's golden robe. It's Drew. You know, that was that was as awkward as I imagined it would be. You know, That's I, great. I really tried to think of the worst thing I could possibly put together, and that was it. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I, I'm, I'm glad to be able to hear with you tonight, bud. Uh, yeah, because we have a very special guest uh, that I have been looking forward to talking to for quite some time. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jason Fry. Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Thank you for coming on. We're super excited to talk to you about, uh, I mean, gosh, you're like one of the most prolific writers in, in Star Wars. Uh, how does it feel to be able to say that, like, you're one of the, the, you have, has so many books out there it's crazy <laughs> no i yeah I, I pinch myself every day i really do i mean i was eight years old when a new hope came out which wasn't even a new hope then it was just star wars <laughs> and i say without exaggeration that it changed my life i was a, a, a kid who was in love with stories and storytelling and even at that age wanted to write my own someday and i had just never imagined there were stories like that. So it's a definite before and after seeing the engines of Darth Vader's Star Destroyer. I was a different person the minute that happened. So to that, you know, that was enough. But to get to then grow up and actually uh, contribute to the storytelling in the, the galaxy far, far away that we all know and love, I mean, I really do pinch myself every day. I've been incredibly lucky. Kind of tell us about that journey of like, how did you get on track to becoming an author and then eventually making it into Star Wars? I was like hearing those different success stories. Yeah, and the fundamental part of it is something that a lot of budding authors don't necessarily like to hear, but I feel it's my job to tell them. Uh, it had nothing to do with being a Star Wars fan. Uh, it's true, I've always been oh. a gigantic fan, but that, that wasn't it. If anything, that can kind of get in the way. Um, because I mean, storytelling in some ways is really ruthless in terms of whether it's, it's characters and having to do terrible things to them or just making really hard choices about some of your favorite parts of a story. Do they work? Do they not? Et cetera. Mm. So it's, it's actually, I've, I've been able to kind of turn the fan part of myself off in those situations and have a, a double vision about it, if that makes sense. But yeah, I found that you know my fandom can really get in the way, and I know that's been true for some some other authors. But uh, to back up, I mean, the way I broke in was uh, was I was a professional writer, and that's the thing that having been an editor myself is is really what uh, editors and creative people in any intellectual property look for above all else. Um, had, does this person have a track record that tells me he or she can do the job? 
Are they generally amiable and works work well on a team? Will they turn stuff in on time? Will they accept changes gracefully? All that stuff. Um, so I had a long career as a journalist and a lot of years working for the Wall Street Journal online, mm-hmm. which was not just daily deadlines, but hourly deadlines. And, you know, we need it right now. How quickly can you can you get it out there deadlines? Um, and that was the so that was my bona fides. And then just as a hobby, I started doing stuff for uh, role playing games. Uh, I got vetted by Lucasfilm back when that was a thing. Um, actually, to do something, yeah, actually to do something for West End Games. The oh wow! RPG, yeah, way back when. And then it was funny. So I got vetted to do that, and um, Dan Wallace and I were going to write a in depth exploration of uh, the Corellian sector. Um, oh wow! Yeah, for the, even like still for the role playing. Yeah, materials? yeah, for the the real old diet D six. The D six, uh, yeah, yeah, and I think I still have the map somewhere. I mean, eventually no, they come did, on. Yeah, I do. Eventually, they did a Corellian sector map, so it got superseded. But we had the map for it, and we fortunately that was as far as we'd gotten was kind of brainstorming a map. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, West End Games uh, folded up shop, and I was heartbroken. I was like, that was my <laughs> shot. That was it, you know, and I missed it. Um, but I mean, fortunately, it was I did get another shot. So I did stuff for Wizards of the Coast when they took over that license. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing, though, was um, I was asked to become the books columnist for the Star Wars Insider when they started up a, a, a books column. And that was that was not only terrific for letting a lot of folks, not only Lucasfilm but different publishers, get to know me and and figure out that I could keep secrets and. You know, be responsible in all the ways that we discussed, but also it was even though I didn't think about it this this way, it was a great apprenticeship because I got to every month uh, talk to Star Wars writers about how they did what they did, and um, that was, I mean, both a lot of fun in its own right, but also was really great preparation uh, to get to do this myself one day. Did you get to? Re- re- do you remember any of the material you got to review at your time to- during your time at Star Wars Insider? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, the very first one was the um, the Phantom Menace novelization. So talking okay. to uh, talk to Terry Brooks about that, which I mean, as a kid who grew up reading the Sword of Shannara, was pretty amazing. <laughs> um, and then the the big one, I think, the second one was talking to uh, Bob Salvador about Vector Prime, no. and that was the big secret. They didn't really know me yet, and they were basically handing me the the secret of that first book, uh, which at the time was was yeah monumental. It got national covers. They they killed Chewie. What are they doing? Um, <laughs> and that so that was really fun talking to Bob. And then I just I went from there and I got to talk to I mean anybody who wrote a Star Wars book between '99 and uh, gosh I don't remember when I gave up that gig 2003 maybe. Um, yeah, I got to talk to all of them, which was just, I mean, it was a blast. It was wonderful. That's phenomenal. I I also, I'd like to go back just a minute and ask about your time with those role-playing, um, materials that you did for both West End Games or Wizards of the Coast. Are you a role-playing game aficionado? Is that something you do? I, did you ever get to play anything you wrote? (laughs) No. And you know, what was really funny is I was a huge, uh, first edition AD&D kid. Oh, okay. Uh, wow. Way back in like the Jurassic period. Um, and so I would do all the role-playing stuff 
for I mean, really, it was for really it was for Wizards. I'd never got to delve into the the rules um, for West End games, but for Wizards, I did everything based on my knowledge of like 1983 D and D, which was really <laughs> not that helpful. And every time I turned I turned it in. I was I was like, oh my god, this is such an embarrassment. They're going to fire me. Really? I'm so inept at this. And then it turned out I was actually like much better at it than the other <laughs> writers who were struggling <laughs> even worse. Um, so yeah, that was that was uh, I was just I was just praying that they would check that stuff and you know fix all the stuff that I'd done badly because I mean you know similar to being a writer hoping a reader is a good experience. And my goodness, if you're designing a, something for an RPG, you certainly hope it's playable oh and actually fun. I can't imagine. So were you, were you responsible for like how the mechanics of the story would also work? Because going from – sorry, Brandon. I'm, we're going to get really bad. No, go your, for it. Um, this is great. Like Your advanced Dungeons & Dragons rules have things like to hit armor class zero and whatnot. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. When Wizards of the Coast took over, they completely redid – every rule from the top down. So did you feel like you were getting stuck in old habits or did you have, did you feel like you had to worry about the mechanics of it when you were writing? Um, it wasn't so much the, the actual rule mechanics, but it was things like trying to figure out, you know, if you're doing a, um, remember the, the Falanassi, I want to say they were the, the witches in, um, like the Michael Kube McDowell books. Oh, um, man. Yeah, okay. Like, like I adapted, <laughs> Let me reach into the way back part of my brain yeah, now. <laughs> seriously. I adapted those for um, wizards. Oh, and, man. you know, coming up with like, what are the skills there and what bonuses do they get? I mean, all that stuff was just brain bending, and I hope I got it right. Um, that was actually a funny story. Wizards then did another version of that. Um, and I um, mean, God bless them, but a bunch of people like, I mean, this wasn't even Twitter yet, but a bunch of people like found my email and it was, they were like, how dare wizards disrespect you by, I, I thought to myself, you know, the rules are actually probably playable. So just, yeah, go ahead. I mean, you know, I had a blast doing the Lord. It was fun, but if they can do it better and by all means, um, <laughs> that was always funny in that day and age. I remember another one I did, um, I was a contributor to uh, Geonosis and the Outer Rim Worlds, um, which was a, a, a rule book uh, that Wizards did. And so for that, I did um, I did Yavin 4 was one of my planets. And so I did a map of the the Greek temple, the Masasi temple. Mm, um, okay. Which was about as good as, as you know it would have been for my AD&D game in 1982, meaning it was terrible. <laughs> and it was graph I, paper with some some oh, markings on oh, it. Yeah, it was awful. And the little like D and D style door things, and you know, oh, here's a man. storeroom. Here's another storeroom. And you know, I was I was kind of hoping Wizards would give it to an actual map maker and make something cool, but they published it basically as is. And I was like, oh my god. And then the same thing happened again, like some very well-meaning fan when they did like complete locations into this beautiful cutaway of the great temple was like, was like, that's not right. You did that. I was like, Oh my God, are you serious? No, it actually <laughs> looks really good now. Like by all means, throw away my map. Oh, that's but, phenomenal. I don't know. We're, we're having fun, but there's a lesson there. I mean, th- this is a sandbox and we all get to play in it and that's great. But you know, you do, it's, it's a big mistake to think of things as, as yours or, you know, inviolate or unchanging, et cetera, because it's not the case. And, you know, that's fine. And if it's not fine to you, you know, don't get in the sandbox in the first yeah. place. 
Ah, that's good advice. Now, you've mentioned a couple times already about the the maps that you've had to draw for for the different materials, and and one of one of the Star Wars books that you wrote was the the complete atlas. So you obviously have this great love of geography and and cartography, maybe or maybe it's just for fun. But one of the things I hope you don't mind, we, I did a little snooping, and I found a note that says you had kept a systems database um, for the planets yep. in Star Wars. Yep. Um, I ha- not only do I have a thousand questions of how in the world do you keep track of that <laughs> and where and whatnot, but why why is that kind of like location information so integral to your work? Uh, that's a good question. Um, it's just something I was always fascinated by, and for me, it goes back way back to being a, uh, a Tolkien fan. I was one of the kids who would just mm-hmm. pour over the maps um, in those books, and I remember. I mean, the model for the the essential atlas was something called the Atlas of Middle Earth by um, Karen Wynne Fonstad, uh, this author uh, back for Delray uh, back in the day. And, you know, from the beginning as a Star Wars fan, like I wanted a version of that for Star Wars. And um, a story I tell all the time, but I swear to God it's true. When I was like 13 <laughs> years old, I actually dreamt that I was in my local Walden books and there was um, – the Atlas of the Star Wars Galaxy. Like, that's what it called. Wow. I picked it up and bought it and took it home. And I woke up and I had one of those funny experiences where you're not, you, you're, you've just woken up and you can't quite figure out what the, what's the dream and what's reality. And I, you know, I was in like seventh grade and I was like, oh, I've got all this stuff to do. I've got track practice, but that's cool. I'm going to come back and then I'll get to look at my new cool Star Wars book, which is what I always wanted. And then I real, and then I realized like, Oh, that book doesn't exist. <laughs> that was just a dream. And I was just crushed. And you know, the funny thing is, I mean, you know, the rest, I mean, it actually one day did exist. I just had to, you know, curl up and meet Dan Wallace and write it myself. But, um, yeah, I just always wanted that. I always wanted to know how that stuff fit together. Um, and so, yeah, years before that book became a reality, I started keeping a, uh, a database of all the, um, star systems, not, not planets, star systems. And then, um, that proved invaluable for the Atlas. Um, the funny thing there is, is, uh, Dan, my co-author on the Atlas wrote something called the essential guide to planets and moons first. Oh, I remember um, that one. Yeah, which is a great book. And he and I had gotten uh, to be friends kind of on on America Online and the Star oh, Wars gosh. chat boards. Yeah. And um, so I knew he was working on this book for Lucasfilm. And um, I had this this database, but I didn't give it to him because I didn't want him to think I was trying to you know step on his thing. Um, and so I finally kind of shamefacedly told him, like after he was done with the book that I had, I'd done this thing and I had it. And he was like, why didn't you give me that months earlier? That would have saved me so much work. And, uh, that was a good lesson there. I was like, yeah, that kind of wasn't helpful. Sorry, man. Oh man, that's crushing. Yeah. But I just always loved that stuff. Um, and, and by the way, I still do it. Um, I was just the other night. Uh, reading a, a forthcoming uh, book and you know rounding up the new star systems in it and writing down the clues of where they go. So when when one day we update the Atlas Appendix uh, for new canon stuff, which we will do one day, then that was uh, going to be my next question. Yes. Oh yeah. Are they still yeah. doing those kind of essential uh, books even for the new stuff that's coming out? 
I do not know the fate of the essential guides, if they'll do more. Um, mm-hmm. If they do, I suspect you know, getting past episode nine will be very helpful for that. Uh-huh. Then, okay. I mean, I have no idea what they're going to do in the future, but then you'd have an era at least fairly well-defined and make that easier. Um, but I have talked with, um, you know, with, with Leland and, and Pablo and Matt and those guys about continuing the Atlas uh, appendix and updating stuff and doing more sector maps and they, they, they're up for it. So it's just a question of, you know, when can I free up the time to do it and when sure. can we, they have the re, uh, when will they have the resources on their side and, you know, do it in a way that makes sense. But I, I'm, I'm committed to continuing, uh, both those projects as, cause I love them so, and so far <laughs> knock wood, they seem to be, uh, in favor of doing that as well. Did you have to push and pursue for the Atlas book? Because you obviously you had this passion going in, but they, it seems they have done one or two versions of it beforehand. So how did they get around to doing another version of it um, every couple of years? Oh, yeah. No, Dan and I both had to – Dan and I had to push quite a bit. Really? Um, first of all, because it, it just didn't seem like a book that made any sense. Because, I mean, mapping Middle-earth is one thing, but I mean, a <laughs> galaxy is just a bunch of dots with lines between them. Like, how does that even work? Uh, so we had to convince them about that. We had to convince them about um, ascend- that it wasn't just essential guide to planets and moons over again. Like, how is it different? And eventually, right. we just had to, you know, basically do an outline and say essentially, this is the, yeah, this is what the book would be. And I, I joke sometimes, and it's three quarters a joke, but there's something in there <laughs> that they finally let us do it just so we'd shut up. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, there's a lesson there too. I mean, sometimes the book just doesn't make sense, and you've got to listen to people who know better and accept that. But it was a project that was, it was a dream project for both of us. And so we just kept, we never gave up and just kept pushing it till it made sense. And it's a really, I'm proud to say it's a really beloved Star Wars book. So that's awesome. You know, it doesn't guarantee we'll be right next time, but for that time, at least we were right. Well, and the map plays a pretty big role in The Force Awakens. Is there any chance you had a role in designing or maybe consulting on the, the, the map to Skywalker there? No, uh, not for that. That was all uh, through JJ. But um, I have. We have taken it and looked at it, and it actually really came into play for episode um, uh, for episode eight. That you know, if we know the endpoint is is uh, is Octo, like where do you overlay it onto the galaxy map, and then what does that say about what else is on there? And mm. um, yeah, there was some really cool detective work uh, done on that 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 um, folks were kind enough to share with me. But I was not I was not involved um, in any of the consulting there. But um, there is one funny story about about TFA is that um, the Western reaches was something that Dan and I late in the Atlas were making up kind of cultural regions of the galaxy. And I kind of took this on and, and I needed to fill in some stuff. And I chose the name the Western reaches. And then. Wow. You know, then Harrison Ford actually says that on screen, and there's, oh. there's a good chance that'll be on my my tombstone. It's, it's, it's <laughs> just fine. I I still can't believe it. Because you you obviously didn't know going in. So what's that experience like sitting in the theater and like hearing something you came up with? Oh, it's inc- it's it's insane. It's just absolutely. Because you even focus. The re- do you even know it. what the rest of Force Awakens is about? <laughs> <laughs> I had, it's funny, I had been tipped off about that specific 
thing. And then also, I you know, I did a number of books for Force Awakens, so I wasn't right, right. particularly surprised. But it's still, yeah, you know, it's um, it, it's it's a pretty good cocktail party conversation thing to talk <laughs> in because people are. I was like, yeah, I, I came up with something that Harrison Ford says on screen. You know what's um, super cool? It's pretty cool. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I was just gonna yeah, say, yeah. you know what's super cool about like the the atlas books and, and i'm looking at your work on complete locations and different things like that is we're in this digital age where you know video games are sending content once the game's already out uh, you know movies that you buy on digital will get new special features added to them is do you know of like a potential for that happening in the book world where maybe you you have this um, complete Atlas, and then eventually you're able to send an updated version of it to to the users later on. Um, it's it, it's it is something we discussed way back when we started doing the appendix. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things in the book business that make that. Uh, I mean, you're you're making a pretty big promise there, uh, mm. for one thing, and then there's a lot of worries about. You know, does everybody have access to that? How do you handle that? How do you um, how do you explain it? How do you make it so people who can't do that don't feel like they're being shortchanged, et cetera, et cetera? There's a lot of business questions there. They're a lot more complicated than I thought at the beginning, which yeah. was interesting to learn about. Uh, more broadly, I mean, we've kicked around a lot to is there something digitally to do um, with the Atlas? Um and that's another thing I've kind of made a pest of myself about over the years. Like, um, um, excuse me. One thing I can say is uh, Modi, the map maker for the Atlas, did an unbelievably great zoomable galaxy map a few years ago that we actually showed off at one of the celebrations. And that's something I would love in some form to be able to get out there to the world somehow because it's it's just beautiful and just oh, unbelievably fun to play with. But yeah, that's so, you know, I, I think it's easier when you decouple it from the book experience mm -hmm. for various ways. But um, but I do love that we're in an era where you can ask these questions and figure out like, you know, <laughs> what can we do, et cetera. But um, for the original Atlas, that was something that was hugely important to me. I knew from the beginning that the book it was one of those books that was out, arrives out of date on in some way. Um, and I really wanted to make a commitment that we'd... Um, you know, the, the, the appendix would be a living document, which we've honestly fallen a little, well, I shouldn't say we, I have fallen a little behind on, <laughs> uh, in keeping it up. But the, uh, the, the idea is to, to catch back up and, and the work behind the scenes is getting done. So we'll, we'll get it done. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so you, I mean, besides the, the complete Atlas and, and even the last Jedi novelization, which are, are probably things you're most known for, for the listeners of this particular show, but you, have written so many Star Wars books across different age ranges, different styles of books. So can you just kind of go into, like, what's the, the process for approaching the different types of books that you've written, whether it's a, a young reader or something like a Ray's Survival Guide that's more a, a character's journal versus The Last Jedi? Um, one of the key things I've had to learn is just figure out up front um what is this book and what isn't this book um and that's something that i've gotten better at uh because of the range of things i've done um don't 
try to turn a, a fiction book into a book that's really overloaded with lore. Um, by, by the same token, if, if the book is really a lore book like the Atlas, like be careful about delving too far into fiction. Like I, I learned that with essential guide to warfare, which has a bunch of kind of almost mini short stories in there. And you know, in, in retrospect, that was me kind of scratching the fiction writer itch and, did it necessarily work as well as it could have in that book? I'm not sure. Um, mm. The same thing for age ranges. Just you know, think a lot about uh, who's the audience for this book, and then just make sure that's the book you're doing. Uh, you're not going to do anyone uh, from the people you work with to the audience to yourself. You're not doing anyone any favors if you're confused about that. So, but you know, one of the great things about working with Lucasfilm, I mean, I've been very lucky in that I've been very lucky in that I've been able to do so many different uh, projects and things and get to to switch around. That's been a lot of fun. But I mean, they're also, you're always working with a really pretty great net there um, as uh, you're always working with a really great team uh, that'll help you if you get, uh, you know, if you, if you get that stuff muddled up or if you get off track. Um, so um, I, I always say it's, 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 it's more than a little unfair. I mean, the author is the person who gets his or her name on the book, but there are so many other people, uh, making that book work. Um, you know, editors, editors, copy editors, uh, other people in the book writing process, designers, artists, marketers. I mean, it's mm. really, really a big team and, yeah. uh, uh, so yeah, if, if you love books, read the acknowledgements. They're really important. <laughs> yeah. the, the author is standing on a bunch of really good people's shoulders um, that make uh, him or her look good. It's like the the director of a movie kind of thing. You know, there's like thousands of people that go into making a movie, but yeah. the person gets yeah. all the credit or all the blame. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Do you ever think of the fact that the, especially the young reader books and, and more uh, elementary age chapter books could be the first experience that somebody has with Star Wars? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I, I never, never, I never write a book as if it's for um, only for like a veteran of the saga who knows everything. Um, I think, you know, that whatever that book is, you, you have to look at it as it might be someone's first first Star Wars book. And, um, you know, that's true of adult readers, too. Like, I mean, in any project, you really want to make sure, like, if, if someone's flipping through in the bookstore and they land on something, is there something they know? Is there something they can latch on to so that the book feels open and welcoming to them? Um, you've kind of – it's an easy battle to lose if, if that reader or potential reader at that point opens something up and – the lore is so impenetrable and the, or the names are, are all, are all, you know, nothing they recognize. Like you can lose that reader right there. Cause they feel like, like I haven't done the homework here instead of thinking, Oh, I want to, I want to read this. I want to be part of this. This sounds fun. So yeah, you're always thinking about that. That's and, an interesting. Um, how yeah, how do you balance that kind of, because you're definitely right. It seems like a, a pretty, uh, important thing to keep in mind is you want to keep the barrier of entry pretty low, especially for um, the kids' books. Um, but I wonder ap <coughs> applying that to either like a young adult or mm -hmm. or even just a regular adult entry into the series. How do you balance that against? 
I don't know. Do you have to keep in mind the people who have been reading and watching these movies for 40 years as well to make sure that they have something that they don't have to skip three pages of explanation because they already know what the force is or anything like that? Yeah, it is a really interesting balancing act. And, you know, sometimes the balancing act just doesn't make sense. I mean, I think one thing we hear in fandom a lot is, you know, that's not for you which doesn't mean you can't read it. It doesn't mean you're shut out. It's meant, you know, the audience for this, this toy, this, this video, this book, whatever it is, you know, the primary audience for that is something different than your cohort. And I think that's a part we all do as fans. We all have to, you know, sometimes understand like, 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 Hey, you know, I do know most of this stuff, but that doesn't make the project invalid or, a betrayal of me or, you know, I mean, whatever gets so heated on Twitter. Um, you know, but aside from that, I think that, you know, again, you have that team helping you and it's great to keep it in mind yourself, but also, you know, ha- have them look at it. And I mean, Jen Heddle of Lucasfilm has been personally, I would single her out as having been really, really helpful to me. You know, I've had a lot of notes from Jen on books where she's like, you know, do we really need to do we really need this? Do we really need to know this? Mm, Are we going too deep in the weeds? And, um, you know, and and that's really helped me not only in kind of not making those mistakes, but also getting getting my own kind of antenna better honed in future books. Um, But, you know, as again, I'm glad we, we brought it up earlier, but I mean, that's why there's a big team to help you. And, um, you know, as an author, you, you're grateful for all those folks helping you. And, you know, one of the biggest mistakes you can make as an author is to stop listening to them because they're, they're the reader's representative. And ultimately, you know, they're going to help you create that relationship with a reader that you really want. And, um, it's easy to get kind of lost in the process and, and miss that. So, yeah, List, no matter who you are, listen to your editor, listen to the other <laughs> folks in the process. They're they're on your side. You know, this is not this is very very rarely if ever an adversarial relationship. That's super cool to hear. I mean, just the the idea of kind of breaking Star Wars down to its core elements. I know I I teach uh, fifth grade, and so when mm-hmm. I'm using Star Wars, like in the beginning of school, I actually go to the little golden books. Because oh, yeah. they just simplify everything uh, down, indeed. you know, um, and it really helps teach that that root of of not just fiction but Star Wars. And I know for me, as a fan, getting to see, you know, getting to revisit it on such a simple level kind of kind of centers you um, a little bit. And I imagine that's something you have to kind of do on the regular because your your toes are in so many different pools. Where I mean, the lore in your head is is, is probably overwhelming. Yeah, no, that's a really great way to think about that. I love that test. Another in fiction, I have one for myself, which is, I think, can I hear the John Williams music? Mm. And, you know, if I'm if I'm reading along and I'm like, wow, it's been a little while since I've been able to hear the John Williams score, then something's gone wrong. You know that, uh, yeah, then that's kind of a, a a point where I need to snap my attention back and figure out. You know, why can't I do that? What what has gone a little awry? So let's kind of dig into that a little bit more with with some of the the works you've done more recently for the new canon. Uh, looking at like a book like uh, Weapon of a Jedi or Moving Target or even the Last Jedi novelization, 
you deal with you know these huge characters like Luke and Leia. What is your approach to to taking a character like that from the screen to the page? Because for me, that's one thing I I have seen some Star Wars books struggle with, and and some Star Wars books that's what makes or breaks them. And I feel like you have a really good handle on those characters. Oh, thank you. No, that's awesome to hear. Um, yeah, it's you know it's a big responsibility. Um, you know, for, for weapon of a dead or moving target. Yeah. The, the idea that you're going to write, uh, lay Oregon or Luke Skywalker. I mean, for someone who again was eight years old when he met those characters and who have now for more than four decades meant a huge amount to me. I mean, yeah, that feels, that can feel like a huge responsibility at the same time. You, you can't let it spook you. I mean, that's your job and you have to have, uh, you have to have faith in yourself that, yeah, I'm going to tell that story. I'm going to inhabit those characters. I'm going to bring them to the reader. Um, so you can't let that scare you. Um, the most interesting experience for me on that was with Weapon of a Jedi and with Luke. And um, I had to I had to kind of confess something going into that project, which was that, you know, much as I had thrilled the adventures of Luke Skywalker for so long, I really didn't think of myself as a Luke guy. He wasn't a character I'd ever really gotten on that on that key level, um, and so I knew going into that book that that couldn't stay that way. That I really needed to get a, a handle on that character that, in an odd way, I, I hadn't had even with all those years of fandom. So I took myself to what I called Luke boot camp. Um, <laughs> I went back and yeah, watched you know watched watched everything in the original trilogy. Um, watched how he reacted to characters, watched also Mark Hamill's performance, you know, what, how, how did that work and thought about the character a lot. Um, and a couple of things unlocked it for me that were really, um, crucial that, uh, Hamill tells a story. It, it's recounted in, in, in J.W. Rinsler's wonderful making of Star Wars book about, oh, yeah, it's such a good book about the the scene where they they catch up with R two D two and three P O. Oh, Master Luke did blast you in a million pieces right here, and and Hamill goes, no, it's all right. And um, so Hamill tells the story about he he originally played that scene like really kind of angry and and fierce and shaking his fist more the way C three P O does it. And Lucas said cut, and he was like, no, 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 and he. You know, he was like, it's, it's more restrained. And they kind of discussed it back and forth. And finally, Lucas did it and, and showed him. And so Hamill, to show Lucas how wrong he was, played it as understated as he possibly could. <laughs> you know? Uh, uh. And, and Lucas and George was like, perfect. And that's the tip <laughs> he used. And that's the cut in the film, right? <laughs> yeah. And so for Hamill, oh, he, after that, though, Hamill was like, I get it. Now I get it. And part of it was that that's Luke is George, Luke and Lucas. But also, you know, that was a big moment for him in the um, in finding that character. And so I found that really interesting. And there was actually then there was a poster on uh, on the uh, the Force.net on the Jedi Council boards um, had what I still think is the best insight into Luke I'd, I'd ever seen that said that, you know, Luke is not a typical action action hero. He's he's gentle. Um, and I thought about that a lot and it's absolutely true. Like the only 
the time in the um, original trilogy where he's most like a conventional action hero is Empire, where he's you know he's basically the the detective telling his 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 bosses to get lost. He's going off on his own oh, and you know et cetera. And he goes off to go save his friends and confront Vader. And it's a total disaster. It's a disaster in every way. And the rest of it, you know, it's him letting go. It's him, you know, appealing to the better angels of his father's nature, throwing his lightsaber away, et cetera. And that was really interesting. And that was hugely helpful uh, for Weapon of a Jedi. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you one more story that I kind of like, because you got me rolling on this. Absolutely. So, we were. I was at um, New York Comic Con uh, on a panel of authors, and I was sitting next to Greg uh, Rucka, who wrote um, Smuggler's Run, the the Han Solo book in that series. And I was oh, confessing okay. that you know that I I wasn't really a Luke guy, and that growing up I'd been a Han guy. But um, you know, when they asked me if I would write Weapon of a Jedi, I was I was much too scared to be like, oh, I'm kind of a Han guy. <laughs> And Greg Ruck was sitting next to me. We were actually sharing a microphone, and he has this wonderful, deep, gravel voice. And he, he takes the mic, and he goes, that's funny, because I've always been a Luke guy. And they gave me the Han <laughs> book. And I was like, oh, I guess I better take it. <laughs> and uh, Mike, Mike Sigling, the creative director of Lucasfilm, was moderating the panel, and he just looked at us in shock. And he was like, why don't you two idiots ever tell anybody <laughs> these things? But I'm, I'm really, but despite that, I'm really glad that we didn't because, you know, I came through Weapon of a Jedi with a, with a, um, an understanding of the force that I'd never had despite being a Star Wars fan and a, an appreciation of Luke that I honestly hadn't had. So, um, mm. so I'm, even though it was, it was the opposite tack that I would have chosen. I'm really glad it worked out that way. That's phenomenal. So, I mean, that obviously bleeds over into Last Jedi because Luke is the the title character um, being... Yeah, and I, I could not have written the Last Jedi novelization without Weapon of a Jedi. That's what it I was, was going to ask you. Line. Yeah, yeah, like how much of that, that was, was feeding into how you personified Luke in that book? Um, not so much Luke, though I'm sure that was helpful. I mean, my job was really, I mean, it was Ryan's story, and my job was to bring that across, and I thought Ryan had already done a wonderful job at that. But where it was really helpful was with the Force. Mm -hmm. um, I worked really hard in the novelization to make the Force almost a character in its own right. Um, and, you know, it's something that has a will, um, that's there from the prologue on. It's something that that all the different force sensitive characters um, interact with in various ways. So you know it's not all the same conversation, but they're kind of related conversations. And particularly this sense of um, of the force as as powered by life and nature, like that all came out of the last Jedi. and that was really helpful for things like um, taking on the really difficult task of turning, Ray's kind of ecstatic realization um, while she's mm. meditating uh, into prose, which is, you know, is not so easy. So, yeah, without Weapon of a Jedi, I, I couldn't have done that at all. It's interesting because, I mean, Ryan has talked about starting this movie off with kind of taking everybody back to the roots of what the Force really was, that it wasn't, you know, just this power that Jedi had, but but really 
you know, it's what Yoda talks about in Empire Strikes Back, and then you took that ball and and, and just ran with it. Was there any point where you kind of struggled with like what would the force do in this particular moment? Um no, not really. And I, again, I give I give um credit to Ryan for that that you know, I mean the I, I suspect I don't know anything about 9, which I'm I'm actually kind of happy about at this point. Um <laughs> But well, let me would, cross off a bunch of questions on my list then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I'm serious. I, I'm not being coy. I really do know nothing about Nine. Um, but I, I suspect that when we have seen Nine and we have more perspective on that saga, that, that you know, the Force being so much bigger is going to be one of the big takeaways that we all have. And um, so... You, you know, and and I think that was just I mean, beautifully captured in a lot of, of of what he did in that movie. Um, but you know, and it's also it's not Ryan. I mean, the world between worlds stuff in Rebels, for instance, is just oh, mind blowing. Yeah. And you know, that also goes back to to the um, the Clone Wars, to those the the Yoda's walkabout episodes and the Mortis, um, you know, which was all George. So. You know, one thing I think is great is the last, you know, five years or so have really kind of exploded our understanding of, of what the Force is and could be, which is great for storytelling. And uh, can't wait to see what else they do with it. One of the things I really loved, and, and it kind of shattered the fandom for a couple of days, was that beginning uh, chapter of The Last Jedi with Luke's dream. And <laughs> yeah. um, first of all, I mean... In, in terms of just pure writing, it, it's a joy to read. I've been rereading the book uh, prepping for the show. But looking at that scene in particular, the way I interpret the scene is like the Force won't fully let Luke disconnect. Um, he may be able to, to hide himself like Palpatine does with the Jedi, but he can't really truly be without the Force. Is that kind of the intention you had in, in writing those final lines where he, Luke mentions... Uh, he knows something big is coming. Yeah, no, that was a big part of it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody should always be free to take their own interpretation of things, but oh, that yeah, is absolutely. what I had in mind. Yeah, and um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see that. I mean, the force is 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 constantly working through people, and um, it is at work. It's awakened, and it's at work in the galaxy and through people and everything else, and. Yeah, what I wanted there was the – I was thinking exactly as you say, that if Luke has cut himself off from the Force, there's no way the Force is going to take that lying down. And uh, it's going to try to um, get through the defenses he's thrown up against it somehow. And then I thought, well, what's the – you know, when are we at our most open and vulnerable and suggestible? It's, it's in dreams. So that seemed like a really good way – um, for that dynamic to happen. And the other thing I worked very hard on was I wanted, um, I wanted that dream to fit with the themes of the movie mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the, the kind of alternate life that Luke dreams of is not dissimilar to what's happened, um, on Octo. Like it seems peaceful. Um, it seems in some ways like a, 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 a uh, not quite a happy ending, but a tranquil life. But what 
but what's missing is that, you know, while that tranquility exists, terrible things are happening in the galaxy uh, because Luke has stayed out of the fight. And that's mm. true in that kind of what if Tatooine, but it's also true on, on Octo. Um, and so I thought that was a, it wasn't enough to have, I mean, doing the dream sequence, et cetera, was fun, but it really, it needed to fit with the movie as well. And I, and, and I hope it did. I, I hope it as a prologue should kind of, you know, is, is kind of a roadmap to some themes that are going to be explored, uh, then by Ryan's story. Now, I absolutely think it was something you, you said there stuck out to me, um, where you you mentioned you know everybody should be able to interpret interpret things uh, themselves, and in your book you you get to write the deleted scene of Ray running off to uh, the caretaker party, um, thinking she's going to save them, and then her and Luke have this amazing conversation uh, there. And I know a lot of uh, news outlets and media outlets were calling that the third lesson. And I have been very adamant, and, and again, this is my interpretation, <laughs> that it is just a continuation of the second lesson. So, not as Jason Fry, the author of the Last Jedi novelization, but as Jason Fry's Star Wars fan, do you vote that that's the third lesson or a continuation of the second? Uh, Jason Fry, whatever you want to call him, is going to leave that one alone. Oh, <laughs> oh now come on. Yeah, no, I, I will Venmo you $10 to tell Brandon he's wrong. Just, it doesn't matter about what. You can I think make it's up a, anything you want. Yeah, no, I think it's a really fun question, and I have no particular <laughs> insight into it. And nah. it's one of those ask, things, ask me it's after like, episode nine. Uh, it's one of those things that like could go so many ways. Um, yeah, and I, yeah. I just I love that kind of stuff in Star Wars. It's super fun. An- another thing that that's really I think got talked about for a minute, but doesn't get talked about enough is uh, some lines you wrote in Chapter 7 where you talk about Rey uh, fixing broken things and waiting with regards to Luke and how, how that's what she's good at. And, and you really, in these two very simple sentences, perfectly explain, explain why Rey is the, the needed heroine for the end of this trilogy. So kind of go into your, your thoughts on Rey as a character and kind of your approach to understanding her character as you wrote The Last Jedi. Oh, I, I'm, she's, I think she's an amazing character. I, I can't wait to see where her story goes next. Um, I love that she is in, in, in some ways she is super capable and self-possessed. I mean, from, I mean, the great scene of, you know, when, in TFA, when Finn's like, are you all right? And she's like, yeah, <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> it was such a great scene. And, um, you know, and I, I love obviously how, how how driven she is and how determined she is to make her own way, et cetera. But you know, I, there's also what shadows that is that she, you know, I, I also like the, but the two movies we've seen so far are here, you know, constantly putting faith in mentors um, instead of herself. I mean, you know, turn trying to turn Han into this father figure she hasn't had that she desperately needs trying to do the same thing with Luke. And then, you know, um, you know, Kylo's not a father figure, but you know, it, it, it's, it's, it feels to me like that same sense of something incomplete and trying to fill it. And then eventually, you know, seeing herself as that. Um, and then, you know, where they go with that in nine, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see. 
Um, that particular scene, I mean, I, I, I would say in some ways I kind of got lucky, but it's a luck is the residue of design, uh, thing. Um, I really kind of needed a beat before we get to Chewy and the door flying open and all that. So I needed a little something and, you know, Ray looking down at the X-wing and the water, was one of those places where you really feel like um, a novelization has to do something else mm. since you don't have the visual power oh, of that shot. So what is that? And you know that it pretty clearly to me, I was like, we're in, we're in Ray's head. And I thought about Ray who, you know, we, we don't really realize it because we're thinking like moviegoer time, but in movie time, you know, she is only a day or two removed from Jakku. So, and she spent her whole life looking at Rex and figuring out, like, you know, how much food are they worth, quite literally. So it made sense to me that she would size up the X-Wing that way. Wow. And from there, I just, that was an interesting way to think about it and kind of give me some material and also pause. But then it just came out of that, that, you know, of course she's fixed broken things her whole life and she's had to be patient. So there it is. Um, so yeah, in a way I got lucky, but I also had been thinking about the characters a lot. And so I was able to reach for something that turned out to be a lot of people's, um, one of their favorite lines in the book. So a little bit of luck and a little bit of, um, you know, reward for hard work. As all good things should be. It, it, it's cool because, <laughs> You know, it applies to Luke, and then also it applies to Ben Solo. And one of the things I just absolutely love about the novelizations is you do get to spend that time in the characters' heads. And one scene in particular um, that that sticks out to me is after I think it's after the Raylo battle um, in the throne room. You you have this uh, quote kill him a voice inside her head said it was amorphous unidentifiable raw pure vengeful emotion so easy she told herself so quick she recoiled from it from the dark side i mean besides just prose wise it being absolutely amazing you have this moment that we don't get to see on film of of ray standing over ben there and, and being called by the dark side um I'm not going to ask you if it's Palpatine. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but kind of what was the, the approach to <laughs> to writing that scene? Because it, I feel like it is some the one thing that the, the movie is missing. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I wish I had my book in front of me that I was like, I was like, did I write that? Wow. Um, <laughs> what, what you're, you're good at this, tell Jason. You. I don't know if you know. <laughs> one thing we did for the novelization was we I made once again, like another um, database where we had all the scenes and kind of all the beats of the story. And then we um, did that also for, and then we went around and added the deleted scenes, et cetera, and then um, looked for places where, what were the, what were scenes we wanted to do um, ourselves there and kind of got all these things together um, in one document so we could look at it and see kind of what the extras were. And that was also because, you know, so many projects going forward, that was also an opportunity to identify things and say like, you know, maybe that belongs to the junior novelization and should be saved for that. Or, you know, is this oh, something the neat. comic can do, et cetera? Yeah. And, 
one of the really, which is where things like Hansel's funeral and, and things like that came from. But um, we, that was one in there from the very beginning. Like Ray, Ray wakes up, Kylo is there helpless. Like there's an interesting scene there um, to, she gets off the shuttle and rendezvous with the Falcon. Like, what do we do there? There's an opportunity there. And, you know, one of the original ideas was, you know, she battles a bunch of guards or whatever. And I was like, no, that just doesn't feel right there. You really want, you don't want another action scene there. We've just had one. Um, so it felt to me like we wanted a really quiet, introspective scene. And with everything that Ray has gone through with Luke um, and with Kylo, with these these two kind of things that feel like betrayals to her, like I really wanted her a quiet moment where she's basically taking stock of what's changed, et cetera. And, you know, for me, that became just a, a reflection. I think it's in the, in the shuttle she steals um, on the force and Kylo and the force not being, the force not being done with him yeah, and yeah. yeah. And him, his life not being hers to take, uh, which I, I wound up feeling pretty good about. I, I thought I felt pretty satisfied with that scene. Your, you know, another action scene would be, I mean, kind of interesting lore. Like, did you know Ray fought these 20 stormtroopers or whatever? But, you know, there wouldn't be, I feel like there wouldn't have been any emotional heft to that. So, but, you know, these are the kind of interesting things you think about there. Not just do we have another scene there, but what what kind of scene do we have? What kind of scene does the story need? Which is uh, is part of the fun. Yeah, because, I mean, you're able to do that in a way, I mean, uh, I would honestly say not since Matthew Stover have we had a book of such weight when it comes to the Force as The Last Jedi novelization. And, of course, you know, some of that does come from from Ryan, but a lot of that also comes from you. Um, For example, like in, in Chapter 25 where you're talking about the, the cosmic force and its will and Snoke's rise to power. So, A, how much of that was, like, pulled from Ryan versus how much of that was, was your ideas? And kind of what was the, the approach to explaining um, kind of Snoke's rise to power and the role that the force played in it? Uh, the Snoke scene was really interesting. Um, that was all me. But it was, I remember I sat down with Leland and Pablo. Um, Leland and Pablo sit together in this wonderful office out in San Francisco, which I really think they need a reality show. Disney Plus is coming. There's a possibility for the reality show there. Oh, yeah, there we would go. I would pay a whole lot of money to subscribe to that. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, they'd, they'd never let any of us see it, but it would be a blast. <laughs> but I, you know, as when I was out there, I, you know, I basically kind of, forced my way inside their door and made a pest of myself. And, you know, I, I kind of pinned them down and we, we wanted, cause I knew I wanted that Snoke scene. I was like, look, there's a real hunger among the audience, um, for some of this stuff. And I know this isn't the place to give them, um, the answers that they all want, but I, I really feel like we need to, you know, give people something, um, uh, some sense of, of where this character came from, et cetera. And so we had a really fun time, like batting stuff around and, um, you know, figuring out what would work and what, uh, where we absolutely shouldn't go, et cetera. And then 
you know, translating that into, um, into book form. And, um, I don't, there was only one really minor part of that scene, um, got zapped between manuscript and publication. And to be honest, I, to be honest, I don't really, I don't even really remember what it was, which tells me, (laughs) you know, it wasn't anything, um, yeah, it wasn't anything like, like any breathtaking secret, et cetera. Uh, but that was fun to do. It's it's an interesting challenge. How can you be evocative and and give people something without um, treading on future storytelling? That's because that's that's something you always have in your mind. Like, don't tie the hands of a future story. And you know, sometimes that's frustrating, um, but most of the time it's for the better. Like, don't don't with a throwaway line confine storytelling so that somebody else can't have somebody else who comes up with something really awesome has to be told like, yeah, we can't go there because of this throwaway line and something. Mm. Um, that's an interesting skill that I've developed and that, I, that I'm very glad to have developed. So it sounds like what you're saying is while we may have gotten a Plagueis novel some 30 years after we learned about Palpatine, we may have to wait another 30 years to get the Snoke, Snoke novelization. You know, I have no idea. That's another one of those things. I, I think the conversation would be a lot different after we see nine. Um, okay. Or or maybe not. I have no idea. But um, yeah, no, that'd be really interesting. I, I, God, I'd love to read that. I'd love to write that. But if I can't write <laughs> it, there you go. No. <laughs> so so on those lines, if you, if you got a call from Kathleen Kennedy and she said you can you can write any Star Wars project you want in the future, what's like? What's your white whale? Uh, I would love to write a Han book. Yeah. Um, you know, go scratch that being a Han Solo kid itch. Um, that's, and I, I did do a proposal for one a long ways back that I thought was pretty good. And I keep kind of coming back to in my head and trying to figure out, you know, now that we have had Solo, et cetera, like what, how would that have to change? What could that, what oh, could that book be? That would be fun. Um, I really want to write a Jabba the Hutt book. I want to write like a Patricia Highsmith style book <laughs> where, you know, you, you get that kind of weird, queasy feeling of like you're rooting for the bad person. <laughs> oh, no. And should you be doing that? I think that'd be a lot of fun to do. Um, I'd love to continue the story of, of Zare and Mary uh, Spanjeff from Servants of the Empire. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the four um, young adult books I wrote in that series. Um, But, you know, I mean, hey, that's three off the top of my head. And, you know, I I also go back to my experience with Weapon of the Jedi. Like, I wouldn't have, I would have said I'm a Han guy, not a Luke guy, but I wound up learning so much from that book and having a wonderful time doing it and being really proud of the end result. So, um, yeah, if if they come to me with, you know, with, Whatever idea, um, I mean, I love Star Wars so much, I'd be very surprised if I'd be like, nah, that's not quite for me. I'd find <laughs> yeah. a way to make it work. I mean, yeah, Why? how would you say no to Star Wars? It would just be, it would have to be something asinine to, to do that. Um, so to, to close out, we have like some rapid fire questions we like to go through. Um, and there's just some, some fun little closeout questions uh, to go out on. So, First, which Star Wars movie did you watch most recently and why? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, Uh Uh-oh. 
I think it was no. I'm I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I I think it was solo. Yeah. And it was just on somewhere, and I got sucked into it. Oh and, man. And um, because that's often kind of fun. Like, I mean, if if you're a huge Star Wars fan, you know, a lot of I feel like a a lot of thought goes into. I'm going to sit down and write a star, watch a Star Wars movie. What, which one is it, and why? Just kind of like what you asked, but it can be really fun to just catch one, like going by on channels or something like that. And, mm. and be like, Oh, cool. And then sit down and you're, you're kind of in a very different place. But, uh, yeah, no, yeah. I'm remembering a little better. It was solo. And I, you know, the, the chief thing I remembered was how much I enjoyed that movie. And it was great just being in the middle of it and watching, you know, these really great actors let it rip. <laughs> it's a super, fun if you movie. had to pick between, if you had to pick between watching rogue one and solo tonight, which one are you putting in? Oh, right now it'd be Rogue One. Um, there you go. That's the I just love answer. that movie. I think the gosh, I think the last forty minutes of that movie are just almost pitch perfect. Oh, um, they're so you. good, and that the tension just builds so amazingly. Which, if you think about it again, also if you're a huge Star Wars fan, you know how it ends, and it still yeah works. It's amazing. It's so um, gripping. <laughs> yeah. No, I love. You know they're all going to die in the. Oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah. But, you know, I probably say that because I happened to catch Solo. If I had happened to catch Rogue One, I'd probably say Solo. I, or, I don't know, or one of the others. <laughs> it's it's always interesting going on Twitter when, like, TBS or TNT has one of their Star Wars marathons. And you get on Twitter and you're just like, why is everybody talking about Attack of the Clones right now? Oh, okay. It's on cable <laughs> and a bunch of people are randomly catching it. Uh, so Yeah, it was, wait, before you go to the next go, one, go, it was go really funny. It. Yeah, last night I was flipping by. I was I'm at my my in laws' uh, country house, and I was trying to find where the Mets were on TV. And I don't know the cable system, so I'm kind of flipping endlessly. And I passed through uh, one of the Hobbit movies, um, which is oh, are decidedly imperfect, but I still have a big place <laughs> in my heart for them. And then Return of the Jedi. <laughs> And I was like, it was ridiculous. Aww. It was like a video game trying to get me to not watch the Mets because it was like, hey, you could watch this, you could watch this. And I was like, you know, what, what's coming next? Like, <laughs> but but I did get there. Okay, rapid fire number two. <laughs> what? I mean, you made it to the Mets though. Yes, I did. did I did, they, and they won. I was, was gonna great. say, did they at least win for you? That's what we. That's a burning question. They did. While we were talking on this call, they um, tied up the game and then gave up three runs and lost. So Aww. you never know. Well, hopefully this... it didn't. Hopefully it never sounded in my voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there yeah. was this one part you did start crying. It was very yeah, weird, well. but we kind of just went. So. <laughs> we'll edit that out. Don't worry. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, so if you lived in the Star Wars galaxy, who would your uh, partner in crime or BFF be? Oh wow, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to go with Lobot. Like, I feel okay. like I have my stuff what? together a little better than Lando during some of his lost years, like between Solo and and Empire. But, like, I mean, Lobot, Lobot will get you out of a lot of trouble. He's got a computer in his head. Um, <laughs> that'd be pretty handy. Hmm, interesting. Not a great conversationalist, though. No, that's true. I bet everybody says R2-D2. I probably should have said R2-D2, but I'm going to go with Lobot. <laughs> no, plus, Lobot's a great answer. Uh, plus, we have the same hairstyle, so... Yeah. Oh, I mean, nice. Yeah. Good wingman. It's good for the holiday costume. Yeah. Uh, what would your Star Wars pet be? A Star Wars pet? Oh, it's got to be a porg. What else could it be? Okay. Nice. Obviously. Good decision. The only acceptable answer. You are correct. Well, you could feed enemies to a rancor. That's not bad, but I'm going to stick with a porg. <laughs> 
<laughs> Rancor could also make you dinner. So, and not in the good way. Um, yeah. Which Star Wars <laughs> character would you let take over your Twitter account for a day? Would I let take over my Twitter account? Um, uh, Princess Leia, if I can, through the magic of, of spiritualism or whatever, if I can have Carrie Fisher running it. I feel that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. now that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of my favorite characters and one of my favorite, you know, actresses, people, inspirations. Like, how can you go wrong with that, um, that combination? So did you ever get to meet her? I never did. I never oh, did. Uh, no. sadly. Um, you know, I, I and, and uh, not to get maudlin, but I, I wish all of us could say, you know, that we still have a chance to meet her because she was sure. uh, just just extraordinary. And I, I really that's one thing I hope about nine is I really hope it is a um, I really hope it is a, a, a fitting tribute to who she was and mm. all she did. I, I really it's interesting because that's one thing. I mean, I'm not worried about episode nine. I'm very much looking forward to it. But that's one thing I have no even fear over because yeah. just the the level of love um, that just everybody on the project had for Carrie and for the character of Leia. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a beautiful tribute. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I loved about last Jedi. I mean, it's terrible to have to love it this way, but I mean, I think it's, it's, I think she's extraordinary in it and, um, you know, and it has a lot, a lot to do from some really key, uh, speeches and plot points to just some instantly iconic, wonderful shots. And so, sure. you know, I, I, I think that movie is a, is itself a wonderful tribute to her, even though obviously it was never intended as such. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. This one seems to be the one that stumps people the most. So we'll see how you do on this one. What's your favorite Star Wars one liner? I have a bad feeling about this. Classic. You can use it. You can use it for everything and you can put an intonation on it. Oh, it's it's great. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, well, that's the, that's the end of the rapid fire questions. And that's the end of our conversation with the wonderful Jason Fry. Uh, Jason, you want to go ahead and, and tell people where they can find you and any upcoming projects that you are legally allowed to talk about? Yeah. Um, on Twitter, I'm Jason C. Fry. I am not Jason Fry, though. Jason Fry is a, a UK based, uh, mobile programmer who knows a lot about star Wars and is better looking than me <laughs> and really funny. So you should follow him too, but he's, not <laughs> and I'm not him. Um, I keep a, a Tumblr account called, uh, Jason Fry's dorkery, which when I'm organized enough, I, I let people know where I'm appearing, what I'm doing, what I'm writing, etc. Um, gosh, in terms of what's coming up, um, yeah, this has gotten out there. Um, my next book is something called the galactic explorers guide. Ooh. I think that's, I think that's what it's called. I, I feel terrible if the title changed <laughs> and I've, I've lost it, but, um, there's not a whole ton I can say about that book, but it is, I, I will say this, it is not a new Atlas or anything like that, but it is this really fun travelogue of the galaxy with lots of information and a new character I got to make up uh, who was a blaster, right? And that I hope people will really enjoy. And that's coming out from Carlton. Uh, and I should know when, but I don't because I'm a bad person. But it's, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming I think soon. it's coming in October or so, isn't it? 
Uh, I've lost track. We'll we'll pretend it is. Yeah, Yeah, we'll go with that. Is it more of like a a young reader or more along the lines of like a journal like you did with with Ray Scavenger Guide and those kind of books? Not really a journal. Uh, It should work for all ages. And um, there's a a really fun thing about it is there's a a really fun kind of augmented reality uh, layer on top of the book. And if people look at some of the other stuff Carlton has done, like in the Aliens franchise – they'll they'll get a sense of, of how that'll work. So, yeah, it was um, the great people to work with and a really fun uh, experience in storytelling to play with, and I'm uh, really excited to have that out there so people can enjoy it themselves. Very cool. So definitely make sure you check that out. Follow Jason on Twitter to keep up with all the wonderful things he is doing and his Star Wars thoughts. And even though it's not the flagship show, I'm going to say it, Batch 8. Hi-ho! Yes! (laughs) Even on a different show, we've got it, Drew. Yeah, you can't get rid of me that easy. Many have tried, many have tried. (laughs) All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text. <laughs>